Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Wards, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about improving your delivery skills as a preacher or a teacher or a public speaker. There are some specific things you can work on that will make you better at delivering the Word of God as you preach, teach, or speak in other settings. I want to talk about uh, six or seven of these today and give you a bit of an overview and some practical guidance on how to implement uh, these improvement steps to get better at what you do so often, which is stand up in front of people and try to talk and, uh, in a coherent way to explain the Word of God. So the first and most important thing you can do to improve yourself as a public speaker, a preacher, or a teacher is to video yourself preaching or teaching and evaluate the tape. Now, my oldest son played football up through college, and he's a headstrong quarterback and often got into disputes with his coaches about what they saw on the field. Was the defense uh, doing this configuration or running this kind of a defensive plan? Uh, did the offensive player go here when he should have gone there? These kinds of things. And coaches don't have time to stop and argue with players after every play, and so they have a phrase they often say, at least they often said it to my son, and that was, the eye in the sky does not lie. And they would point up to the videographer who was up on a tower videotaping the practice. After every practice, my son received a, a video, a copy of the, of the practice video, and he was expected to watch it and critique himself and learn from what he was seeing and to uh, correct his mistakes. And the eye in the sky does not lie. You may think you saw a certain defense or you may think the offensive player uh, did a certain thing like ran a certain route or went a certain direction on a play, but the video will tell the truth. The same thing is true in preaching or teaching. When you video yourself and watch yourself, the eye in the sky does not lie. The video will show you exactly what other people are seeing while you're speaking. Now, I've been giving this assignment for about 25 years in teaching preaching here at the seminary, and I have had uh, more students than I can count come back to me afterwards and say, Dr. Orge, watching myself on video was the single hardest assignment I ever had to complete It's in seminary. And in fact, uh, several of them have told me, and after watching myself, I have vowed I will never speak publicly again. Well, that's not the outcome we're looking for. I know it is extremely hard to watch yourself speak on video. It's hard to listen to yourself, uh, even speaking on audio. I know how hard it is for me to even listen to a podcast or even a part of a podcast to make sure it's going the way I want it to go. Uh, much more difficult to watch ourselves on video. So how do you do this and do it well? First, you should only watch yourself on video a couple of times a year. You don't need to do this every week or even every month. Every four to six months is plenty of time. Uh, watch yourself on video, watch yourself in detail, critique yourself thoroughly, and write out a plan afterwards of two or three things you're going to do to get better as a public speaker. Now notice what I said. Videotape yourself, watch yourself only every four to six months, write out a specific plan of two or three things you're going to do to get better and work hard on implementing those things. Now, if you want to take this to another level, uh, you can ask some trusted uh, counselors or advisors to watch the tape and critique it with you. 
Now, again, you don't want to invite the meanest five people you know in your church, but you do want to say to some people who will give you honest critique, hey, will you sit down with me and watch this video and at least uh, part of it uh, and help me to understand how I can improve myself as a public speaker? You might say, well, what do people like that know about what makes for good public speaking? Well, remember, most church members listen to hundreds and hundreds of sermons over their lifetime, and they know what good preaching sounds like. They know what good teaching sounds like. And if you'll listen to them, they will help you get better. So use the video every four to six months, two to three improvement points. Let another group of listeners help you if you feel like that would be advantageous in your situation. And over time, because the eye in the sky does not lie, you will see what needs to be improved and you can make con take concrete steps to make the improvements that are necessary. All right, number two. The second thing you can do to improve yourself as a public speaker, particularly as a preacher, is to stop using PowerPoint. Now, I know that's almost scandalous in today's world. Everyone thinks that every message that's ever preached has to have PowerPoint accompanying it or supporting it or worse, controlling it in order to be effective. And that is simply not true. Good public speakers can still communicate ideas, develop a rapport with an audience, and move people on through material and to conclusions without relying on visual aids. Now, let me balance this out a bit. If I'm in a seminar format or if I'm in a classroom format, I almost always use PowerPoint and give it away after as a reminder to the audience of what I've said. But if I'm preaching on a Sunday or in a context at a conference where I'm actually preaching instead of teaching in a seminar format, I almost never use PowerPoint and in fact only use it if the host or the person who's asked me to speak insists that I do. And then if I use it, I make sure that I give a bare bones type outline in the PowerPoint so that I still have maximum flexibility in preaching to not use that tool. Now, why am I suggesting that good preaching doesn't depend on PowerPoint? Because good preaching is interactive. I'm speaking the Word of God as I've prepared it. But at the same time, I am looking at my audience. I am picking up their clues and their cues as to whether they're responding or learning or tracking with me in, in what I'm communicating. And I am in the moment uh, speeding up my message to move more quickly through material or slowing down my message to reemphasize material. I am working in the moment to have a dialogical communication with my audience. I'm not there just to deliver a prepackaged uh, amount of information. Now, again, PowerPoint is a great teaching tool in its proper context. It's great in seminars. It's great in some conference settings. It's great in the classroom. I don't know how I would teach these days without it. It's so helpful. But when I'm preaching, when I'm preaching, I want to be so thoroughly prepared and so thoroughly saturated with my material that I can deliver it in a way that really connects with my audience and that I can amend it, morph it, edit it, speed it up or slow it down, uh, and even reorganize it if need be in the moment in order to communicate most effectively with the people who are sitting in front of me.
So again, I'm not anti-technology in, in, in preaching. I'm simply saying it's not necessary, and you might even become a better preacher if you learn to, to preach without it. Now, if you decide that you are going to use PowerPoint while preaching, let me remind you that, the, that technology must always serve the message, not the other way around. And so make sure that whatever technology you use serves the message, meaning that it, it is controlled by the text, it's controlled by your content, it's directed by both of those, and it doesn't become a straitjacket either on the text or on the presentation that artificially changes or shifts the meaning. So make sure if you do use PowerPoint or other visual technology while you're preaching that the technology serves the preaching moment, not the other way around. So... Video is a great tool to improve your delivery skills. Second, appropriately using technology, avoiding it, I think, while preaching and capitalizing on it while teaching in other contexts might be a better way than trying to use it every single time. Now let's talk about a third aspect of improving delivery skills, and that is improving the way that you uh, use the biblical text in preaching. I'm always disappointed when people do a poor job of reading their text as a part of their sermon. Uh, it often speaks to me when they struggle through the text or through the textual reading or don't know how to read the text appropriately to emphasize its meaning. It speaks to me as a hearer that they have not really studied the text, they're not thoroughly familiar with the text, and they're not really prepared to preach the text if they can't even read it to me in a meaningful way. So here are some hints to improve your public reading of text or your public reading of Scripture. First, uh, consult a dictionary to learn to pronounce new words. Not every word in the Bible is a word that's commonly used in everyday conversation, and making sure that we can pronounce those words appropriately or correctly is important. So don't be afraid to consult a dictionary to learn to pronounce certain words. A second thing you can do is consult Greek and Hebrew tools for pronunciation of biblical names, for example, or biblical words that may be transliterated or carried over, like place names, from the original languages into English. By consulting your Greek and Hebrew uh, language tools, uh, you may learn more effectively how to pronounce those words when you're reading them in the English text. Another thing to do is practice reading the text aloud before preaching. Uh, read your text aloud two or three times uh, so that you're sure that you can pronounce all the words, pronounce all the biblical words, pronounce all the people's names and place names, and be really ready to read the text in a good way. Uh, do it privately so you can resolve the pronunciation difficulties and other issues in that context, not in front of the audience. And then learn to read the text to emphasize main ideas with vocal variables or to bring distinction, for example, to dialogue through vocal variables. Now, I'm not suggesting that you necessarily have to adopt a different voice for every character or anything silly like that, but you should read dialogue like dialogue and not just read through the words verbatim, monotone, just getting the text out there, but instead... Read the text with a sense of emphasizing different phrases or words to highlight the meaning of the text and to bring to bear what the text might have sounded like when it was spoken, if it was narrative or if it was dialogue. 
So learn to emphasize main ideas with vocal variables. And then one of the most challenging things to decide is how to use the text in your message. Now, uh, many speakers read the entire text at the beginning of their sermon, and that's fine. But many people who do that then ignore the text throughout the body of the message, and that's not fine. When I teach preaching, I teach a concept called looping, which means that you read the text at the beginning to establish it as the foundation for the message, and then as you preach through the message, you loop back into the text and pick up phrases or sentences or even paragraphs of the text that become very important to carry the weight of the message along as you keep it very closely tied to the textual material. So it is appropriate to read the text at the beginning of the message. It's also usually helpful to read portions of the text again as you reference them throughout the message. Now, if you have a very long text, like you're preaching from a long narrative story that takes up an entire chapter of the Old Testament, you may not want to read the entire thing at the beginning and then just refer to it throughout the message. You may want to say, as we work through the text together today, since the story is rather long, let's take it a piece at a time. And so you might read the first section and then preach your exposition and application of that section, and you might read a second section and do the same. And so as you move through the sections of the message, then you read sections of the text as you go. But even if you do that, be sure you've done the first things I said on the podcast, and that is go through the text beforehand, make sure you can pronounce all the words, all the names, all the place names, and then make sure that you're prepared to read the text so that you can bring appropriate emphasis to various aspects of the text, including dialogue or keywords or other kinds of things like that. So those are some suggestions about how to improve reading the text uh, while you're speaking. All right, number four. Another important part of improving delivery skills is working on what I call your vocal variables. And these are basically three, pitch, volume, and rate. The pitch is the range of tonal qualities. And the biggest issue is to avoid predictable patterns, like what some people call a ministerial twang, where you talk a certain way because you're preaching, or you get into kind of a sing-song mentality or a sing-song sounding voice. You want to avoid all that. Another problem with predictable patterns is going up or down at the end of every sentence. Like uh, you're preaching and you say something like, I want you to know God loves you and God always loves you and God will always stand by you. And you get into this sing-song pattern of always going up or always going down at the end of every sentence and it becomes monotonous and distracting to your hearers. Another problem with pitch is too narrow a range. Uh, where you're simply, staying, uh, you're simply staying in that monotone all the time and people are easily lulled to sleep because your voice never changes. You just keep talking exactly the same no matter what you're saying. Man, that gets annoying after a while. So work on variety of pitch, a range of tonal qualities, avoiding predictable patterns, and certainly avoiding a monotone-type speaking voice uh, while you're doing this, while you're uh, in front of people. Another issue to work on is volume, uh, and that's how loud or how soft you speak. Now, I know that many people, especially uh, younger uh, speakers, are reticent to speak very loudly or very forcefully because they want to come across as humble and self-effacing. We'll get past that. You are not there to be humble and self-effacing in your word, in your tone, or in your volume, I should say. You need to declare the Word of God, and where the Word of God is shouting, you have to shout. Where the Word of God is whispering, you have to whisper. And you want to make sure that your volume 
uh, has some intentionality of, of, of range to it. So that there are times when you're speaking quite loudly, and there's other times when you're speaking in a whisper, speaking quite softly, and you're letting your volume actually even serve the content of the message and the emphasis of the text. So pitch and volume and then rate. Now the rate is the pace at which you speak. Now listen carefully. Um, most people speak too slowly when they're speaking publicly. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not just simply suggesting that you learn to talk faster and put the words together quicker so nobody knows what you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting in your rate is that you move more quickly from idea to idea and that you not bog down on any one word or phrase or idea. Keep the message moving. Now, sometimes that means you will speak faster, especially if you're carrying along a part of the message that does communicate that things are moving rapidly. And other times you may want to speak more slowly to communicate things are moving more slowly. But I'm not talking just about the rate of your words and what pace at which they come out of your mouth. I'm talking about how you move the message along. My observation is that most speakers belabor the point too long and need to, quote, just get on with it. And so work on pitch, volume, and rate. Pitch meaning that your voice goes up and down and you avoid the monotone. Uh, volume meaning that your voice gets louder or softer to serve the text and the meaning of the message in that moment. And third, you have the, uh, the rate, and that is you move the message along at a quicker pace. Now, that doesn't mean you just say words faster, but it does mean that you get on to the point and then get on to the next point and then get on with the message, which is what I'm going to do now on the podcast and move us on to the next way that you can improve. A fifth way that you can improve your delivery skills is by working on your eye contact. Now, eye contact is the amount of time you spend looking into the eyes of your hearers. Now, let's dispel a myth right now. Some people say, well, to maintain eye contact, you should pick a point on the back of the auditorium or the back of the room in which you're speaking and try to stare at that or speak to that or look at that. That's not eye contact. That's wall contact. Eye contact is when you look into the eyes of your hearers. Now, this is uh, important, but you can't, I know, look into the eyes of everyone. But as you're looking around the room, if you're making eye contact with people and moving around the room, it will be amazing to you how much more they will engage with you as a speaker. Uh, this is why, and I could get off on a tangent here, but I'm not going to. This is why I do not like preaching in rooms where they dim the lights. I want the lights up for two reasons. One, I want my hearers to be able to see their Bibles and write down their notes, and they can't do that in the dark. And then second, I want my hearers to be able to make eye contact with me, and I want to be able to make eye contact with them. Now, I know there are some places where you're speaking this is impossible. For example, at the Southern Baptist Convention every year, uh, the speakers, in which I'm one, uh, I'm up on the platform, and I'm looking at this vast sea of people, and the first, uh, because of the security issues and the TV issues and all the other issues, the first row is usually about 20 or 30 yards from the platform, so you can barely even see the people, and then the lights are so bright on the stage that it's hard to see the audience. But nevertheless, I want to make sure that I'm developing the habit of looking into the audience's eyes as much as I can, and in that context, it's more about looking into the lens of the camera directly so that people can see my eyes even though I can't see theirs. So think a lot about what it means to establish eye contact. But for most of you preaching and teaching in most contexts, what you need to focus on is learning to look at the people you're preaching or teaching and look them in the eyes and move around the room, establishing eye contact with different ones as you preach and teach and speak. Now, 
uh, how can you do this? How can you learn to do this better? Well, first of all, there are certain parts of your message that you should be able to deliver from memory without referencing any notes. Your introduction, for example, should be memorized. You should not have to look at any notes during the introduction. Second, your conclusion should be memorized. You should not need any notes during that time, and so you can look directly into your audience's eyes. Third, your illustrations do not typically need notes. Now, I realize if you're using a specific quote or a statistic or something like that, you may want to look at notes, but most of the time, your illustrations don't require those things, and you can simply look directly into people's eyes while you're delivering them. So focus, first of all, to improve your eye contact on memorizing your, your introduction, your conclusions, and your illustrations, and being able to look directly into your audience and at your audience while you're delivering those aspects of your message. Then, if you need to look more at your notes when you're doing your exposition, when you're referring to the biblical text, when you're looking at your notes to make sure you get the textual material correct, that's fine. But you're looking down more during that time, but you're looking up more, and you're establishing more eye contact during other times, and it balances out throughout the message. Now, remember, make eye contact with individuals. Look into people's eyes. Be careful that you don't pick out one or two or three people, however, and stare them down. Develop the habit of looking around the room and making contact with different ones in the room. Even while you're maybe sitting on the platform or just before you go up to speak, uh, if this is a difficult thing for you, establishing eye contact, you might look around and say, okay, lady in red dress, guy in blue suit, teenager back here with the, uh, with the uh, buzz cut, uh, person down here on the front row, little girl on the left. I'm going to make sure that I see people in all corners or in all aspects of this room, and I want to be sure that I look around at all of them uh, while I'm speaking. And so eye contact is another important discipline to establish when you're trying to improve your delivery skills. All right, I think we're down to number six now, and that is improving your posture. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, I mean learn to stand up straight while you're communicating. This will improve your vocal tone, it'll improve your breathing, and it also communicates something else. When you stand up straight, it communicates readiness and a sense of authority. I am here, I know why I'm here, and I'm glad to be here. That's what standing up straight says. Don't slouch, don't lean over on the pulpit. These kinds of things communicate a casual frame of reference that really undermines your effectiveness as a speaker. And then when you're speaking, learn to stand comfortably so you can use your entire body. Now this means that you need to wear shoes that are comfortable and designed for supporting you while you speak and stand for 30 to 50 minutes. It also means your clothing needs to fit pro properly and that you're comfortable in it and so that you can stand comfortably and use your entire body, breathing, standing, projecting, and gesturing in really healthy ways and ways that reinforce the meaning of your message. Now, an important part of posture is avoiding some common problems, and you'll see these on your video quite clearly. Swaying back and forth, left and right, rocking forward and back, forward and back, forward and back, putting your hands in your pockets, slouching, leaning on the pulpit, favoring one side of the audience over the other, speaking to only one part of the audience instead of the entire room. You'll see these common problems as you watch yourself on tape. You'll also see what might be some annoying habits like scratching or picking your nose, pulling on your ear, rubbing your face, shaking the change in your pocket. I have one pastor friend that uh, uh, was a fantastic pastor, but he had a habit of during the invitation, 
he would stand there and put one hand in his pocket and shake his change. And it was just kind of comical that you, you knew the, the more intense the moment became, the louder the change would be shaking. Also, repeated pointing, or really anything repeated repeatedly over and over again. Did I just do it right there to annoy you? Yes, I did that on purpose. Anything you repeat over and over again can become a distraction and become a negative part of your posture of speaking. So when you watch yourself on tape, look for these things. Stand up straight. Project readiness and authority. Stand comfortably. Use my, your whole body in speaking. Make gestures that support the content of your message. And then avoid these common distractions like the ones that I listed. Now let me talk just for another moment about gestures. I know some of you are afraid of gestures. You're a little afraid to move around very much in front of people. You want to keep your hands down to your side and not draw attention to yourself or not attract attention. Well, really, some gesturing is actually helpful to loosen you up and help you to be more relaxed as a speaker. But gestures also should support the content of your message. So if you're saying, for example, uh, you know, in this passage of Scripture, this word is repeated twice, which underlines its meaning. Well, when you say underline, you underline with your two hands, drawing a line across the front of your chest like, uh, like a safe signal in baseball. And so those kind of signals or those kind of, po- or those kind of gestures are a part of underscoring and strengthening and supporting the content of your message. You know, I umpired uh, youth baseball for 25 years, and early on I went to uh, umpiring school for a week to improve my uh, ability in that area. One of the things we talked about in umpiring school was stadium mechanics. And they said, when you're umpiring a little league game and there's 12 people there and you need to call someone out, all you need to do is raise your right hand and make a fist and say, you're out. But they said, if you're umpiring in front of 15,000 people at a little league championship game in San Bernardino, California, which I did, if you're umpiring in front of 15,000 people, you have to use what are called stadium mechanics. And that is you have to over-exaggerate what you do with your gestures so that everyone in the ballpark understands you see the play, you make the call, and you stand by it. And so stadium mechanics communicate something to the 15,000. They're not needed when you're in front of a dozen people on a little league game on a Thursday evening in a small town somewhere. But when you step on a bigger stage, you've got to be able to use bigger gestures and be able to project what you're saying in a broader and larger way. So think about that when you're preaching. You know, if you're standing up in a uh, Sunday school class with eight or ten people or a small church with 25, you're going to use one kind of gesture, and you're going to make those gestures perhaps in a more personal and intimate way. But if God gives you the opportunity to speak to a thousand, you're going to have to recognize that you're in a whole different ballpark, and you're going to have to learn to gesture in a whole different way. That doesn't mean you go crazy and you start gesticulating and throwing things around and acting silly or ridiculous, but it does mean that you understand that your whole body is a part of your communication apparatus, and you have to make sure that your gestures support the meaning of your message and are appropriate in the context in which you're speaking. Well, let me close it out with one last thing about improving delivery, and that is I want to talk about what you wear. Your attire while speaking. I've already said that uh, it's important while speaking to dress so that your clothing fits well and it's not a distraction to you. Now, many of you think that means, oh, that means I have to wear uh, jeans or, excuse me, shorts and a T-shirt because that's what's comfortable to me. Well, that's not true. That's just one factor, making sure that your clothing is comfortable to wear. Now, that doesn't mean you, you, you wear casual clothing or cheap clothing. It means you, well, you wear well-tailored clothing. It means that you think about the fact that your 
a big part of your ministry responsibility is public speaking, and you've got to learn to dress for that task. So I often preach in a suit, and I often preach wearing a tie, and that's not a distraction for me because I make sure that my clothes are tailored to fit me, not for the purpose of a photograph or for the purpose of sitting in an office, but for the purpose of preaching. And I want to make sure that they feel comfortable to me when I'm gesturing and when I'm moving, when I'm talking, and I get my clothes designed to allow me to wear them while I'm doing a big part of my job, which is public speaking. You have to think about that when you're thinking about what you're going to wear. And then uh, dress appropriately for the occasion. Do I think every preacher should always wear a suit? Absolutely not. You have to dress appropriately, though, for the occasion. If I'm speaking at a youth camp or I'm speaking at a collegiate retreat, if I'm speaking at a, uh, at a, at a men's conference, I'm going to dress one way. But if I'm invited to preach on Sunday morning at a large church in the southeastern United States, I'm going to dress a different way. And if I'm speaking at a seminary convocation or a chapel at a major university, <clears throat> I'm going to dress a certain way, and it's going to be dressed for the occasion and appropriately for the moment. Now, I know some people say, well, I just want to wear whatever I want to wear, and everybody else can just adjust. Well, when you do that, what you're doing is you're saying to your hearers, I don't respect you or your setting or your invitation. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and you'll just have to get over it. Now, there may be two or three speakers in the world who have that kind of power and that kind of draw. You don't have it, okay, and neither do I. We need to be respectful of the people we're speaking to and recognize that they draw perceptions about us and draw conclusions about us based on how we speak. One of my favorite stories about this, or how we're dressed, excuse me. One of my favorite stories about this happened with a church planter friend of mine in Arizona. Uh, he came over to California to an evangelism conference where I happened to be speaking and uh, saw him in the foyer. He was wearing a suit. I said, dude, the uh, nice suit. He goes, yeah, I'm wearing him now. I said, well, that's a big change for you. You're in a church plant that meets in an elementary school, and you're wearing a suit. He said, yeah, let me tell you what happened. He said, um, you know, I, first couple of years our church has been going, I've been wearing casual clothes. I wear jeans and T-shirts and, you know, sometimes a button-up a button shirt, that kind of thing, but don't really dress that, that nicely. He said, a few weeks ago I had a funeral on a Sunday, and I needed to dress and wear a suit. You know, it was a, one of those kind of situations. I was going to go right from the church service right to the funeral home and do the service pretty soon that afternoon, and I knew I wasn't going to have time to change. So I wore a suit to church. And he said, before I got to church, I went to Starbucks, and I was reading my Bible and praying and thinking through my message and sitting there in my suit. This lady walks up to me, and she said, excuse me, sir, I see you reading the Bible and, and dressed like you are, and I just want to ask you a question. Are you a pastor? And he said, uh, yes, actually I am. And she said, you know, uh, will you be preaching somewhere today? And he goes, yes, I actually will. And she said, I'd like to come and hear you. And then she said, you know, I've been looking for a church, but everywhere I go, the pastors look like they're dressed to go to the beach. I'm looking for someone who takes it a little more seriously than that. So she started coming to his church. So he starts wearing a suit. So that Sunday after church, he looks at his comment cards, and he has like 20 comment cards from church members saying, hey, really appreciate the way you look today. Really made me understand how seriously you're starting to take this responsibility. So he said, so Jeff, for the last several weeks, I've just been wearing a suit on Sunday. And he said, it's just changed everything about how people see me. It's crazy. He goes, I show up in a coat and tie, and people suddenly realize, think, wow, he, he's a real pastor now, or he, he really is taking this more seriously now. Now, again, don't overreact to this podcast. I'm not saying every pastor everywhere needs to wear a suit all the time. What I'm telling you is your hearers pay attention to what you wear, and what you wear communicates something to them. Now, you may not think it does, but it does. And so I want you to simply think that through. 
and recognize that if you're preaching at a youth conference or a convention or a chapel or a church service, it may mean that you wear something entirely different, appropriate to the occasion, to the hearers, and to the message you're trying to communicate, and to the uh, environment you want to create by how you look when you show up. So these are some ways that you can improve your overall delivery skills. And we've covered a wide range today from using video to how to use technology like PowerPoint to things like your vocal variables uh, and your dress to things like uh, dealing with how you read scripture and the way you present the Bible in, in preaching or teaching context. I know I've covered a wide range of issues today. But I wanted to do so to get you thinking about some practical things you can do to improve your delivery skills. Now, let me just wrap it up with this. The only way to improve all of these things is through practice. Every opportunity that, you get, that you're given to preach or teach or in any way speak in public, take that opportunity and take it not only as an opportunity to deliver the message that you know God has put on your heart, but also take it as an opportunity to learn how to do that better and make studying the craft of public speaking just as important to you as studying the content of what you're going to deliver. You can do it. You can get better at being a public speaker, a preacher, or a teacher. Work on it now as you lead on.